Hello and welcome to the Beach House 34 True Crime Podcast. I'm your host, Christine Worth. Today's episode is going to be an update of the Delphi murders. Now, I covered this back on episode 13, but what I will do is before we get into all of the updates, I'm going to recap some of the original episode just so that we're all on the same page. So with that said, let's get started. On Monday, February 13th, 2017, at 1.30 in the afternoon, Abigail, known as Abby Williams, who was 13, and Liberty, known as Libby German, who was 14, were dropped off at the Monon High Bridge Trail in Delphi, Indiana. They were only going to be there for a few hours. Family members were supposed to pick them up at the same location that they were dropped off at around 5.30 that night. While they're there, Libby takes a Snapchat photo of Abby walking along the high bridge, which crosses over Deer Creek. When 5.30 came around and it was time to pick up the girls, they weren't at the meeting spot, so family members went to go look for them. After quite some time and very worried by this point, they decide to call the police and report the girls missing. The girls were not found until the next day, around 12.15 in the afternoon, on February 14th. Two bodies were located less than two-tenths of a mile upstream from the high bridge along the edge of Deer Creek. Now, the following day, on Wednesday, February 15th, at 6.15 p.m., The local news released the photo of a man that was photographed walking along the trails around the same time the girls went missing. The photo that was circulated was incredibly blurry, but it showed a man wearing jeans, a navy blue jacket, and some kind of hat or cap. Now this photo, it was spread across multiple media outlets across the state and even went nationwide. On the 22nd of February, police gave a public statement and they said that it was Libby German who had taken the photo of the man in the blue coat walking along the bridge. Not only that, but she started recording audio when she realized that she and Abby were in trouble. Part of the audio from that video that Libby took is probably very familiar to you. It's a man's voice saying, down the hill. She was a quick thinker who not only felt the need to take the photo, but also started recording video. While the police, FBI, and other law enforcement agencies aided in the search for the girl's killer, thousands and thousands of tips flooded the office in Delphi. Now, a lot of these tips led to the police investigating various people. But in the original episode that I had recorded, you'll remember that one of those that was interviewed was a 77-year-old man named Ron Logan. Now, Ron Logan was the owner of the property where the girls were found. When he was first interviewed, he said that he was stunned that something like that could have happened on his property. But then, a few weeks later, the police paid him a visit yet again. 
But this time, nearly 15 officers, including deputies, state police, the FBI, they all arrived at Ron Logan's home around 1130 in the morning. Now, the police stated uh, to the press that they were, quote, just following up on some tips and interviews and leads that they had gotten and that they're trying to clear him or see if he's more of a suspect than what we originally thought. Now, Ron did end up being arrested on a probation violation, um, and this was because he had been found driving his vehicle. He had had a drunk driving conviction that prohibited him from even having access to a vehicle, much less driving one. But he had, in fact, driven to the Carroll County Transfer Station, which is a place where Delphi residents can drop off trash and recyclables. He did this on the same day the girls went missing. Now, Ron Logan, he, of course, was arrested for this because he was driving and wasn't supposed to be driving. He did have a court hearing shortly after his arrest, and he pled guilty to being a habitual traffic violator. Um, He also had some pending charges of providing false information and obstructing justice, but these were dropped after he entered a plea. Now, the warrant on Ron's property covered not only his house, but his vehicles, the buildings outside his home, and the entire property itself, which actually spans all the way to the creek where the bodies were found. Now, that being said, the investigators that were on Ron's property were actually there for well over six hours. And the reason that they were there because was because they said they had probable cause to investigate. They, of course, they didn't elaborate on the tips, but they felt it was important enough to bring in all those officers as well as the FBI and search for six hours. Now, Ron was never charged in anything related to the girl's murder. However, we've learned a little bit more since this time. The podcast, The Murder Sheets, received a copy of the original search warrant for Ron's property, which contained commentary by an FBI agent. Now, what we've found out since then is that the girls were located approximately 1,400 feet from Ron Logan's property. According to the search warrant for his property, when the girls were found, they were found dead by wounds caused by a, and this was redacted, weapon, and that a large amount of blood was lost by the victims at the crime scene. Because of the nature of the crime, it would be, quote, nearly certain that the perpetrator would have gotten blood on his clothing. In the search warrant, it also states that Logan was of about the same size and build as the man in the video taken by Libby. However, the voice of Ron and the voice on the tape do not match, according to the affidavit. You know, and this leads me to to ask, well, does this then lead to a second perpetrator? It was also discovered that the, again, this was redacted. It was an item that uh, one of these items of one of the victims was missing from the crime scene while the rest of their clothing was recovered. It also appeared as though the girl's bodies had been moved or staged As the FBI agent who reported on this finding stated, quote, based on my training and experience, it is common for perpetrators of this type of crime 
to take a souvenir or in some fashion memorialize the crime scene, whether by photos or electronic or digital methods that are then downloaded for later viewing, scanning, or copying. The girls had no visible signs of a struggle or a fight. Uh, While investigating Ron Logan's home, they did locate unknown fibers and unidentified hairs. Uh, They did find that he owns numerous weapons, including handguns and knives. Now, on the day that the girls were found, at about uh, 9.20 that morning, before the girls were found, Ron Logan contacted his cousin, and his name was Redacted, and asked his cousin to tell the police that he came, that his cousin came to Logan's home between 2 and 2.30 p.m. on the 13th, and this is the day that the girls went missing, to pick him up. Ron further told his cousin to say that they both drove to an aquarium store in Lafayette, which is about 22 miles away, and would take about 30 minutes to get there. He then told his cousin to say that they got back to Logan's house between 5 and 5.30 p.m. Now, in Ron Logan's home, there was a receipt dated February 13th with a checkout time of 5.21 p.m. Officers interviewed Logan, who said that he was picked up by his cousin around 3 o'clock in the afternoon and then taken to the aquarium store in Lafayette. When he was done... He said that he was driven straight home. These statements were found to be factually false and intentionally designed to deceive the officers. The cousin did tell officers that he was with Logan on the 13th and that he drove Logan to the aquarium store in Lafayette. Two days later, however, this same cousin was interviewed by yet another officer about this tip And he told the officer that he had lied when he was first interviewed, that Ron wanted him to lie and say that he had driven him. He said that Ron had never asked him to lie for him in the past. He knows that Ron has driven his vehicle while on probation and was or is prohibited from doing so. Now, in yet another interview with this same cousin, and this was five days later, The cousin explained that Ron called him on the morning of February 14th, now this is the day that the girls were found, and asked him to provide the alibi for Logan's drive to the aquarium store in Lafayette. This call to the cousin was made before the discovery of the girls' bodies and, quote, based on investigators' experience, it is reasonable to believe that the creation of an alibi prior to the discovery of a crime indicates culpability or knowledge of the crime. Now, the cousin said that he thought the photograph that was circulated of the male on the bridge looked like his cousin, Ron Logan. Now, officers found out that Ron had driven on the 13th to the transfer station in Delphi to drop off trash and a video actually shows this. And this happened at about... 11.53 to 11.58 in the morning on the 13th. And the girls were not dropped off until about 1.30 that afternoon. Ron didn't ask his cousin to give him an alibi for his drive to the transfer station on the 13th. 
He only asked him to provide an alibi for the trip that would have occurred at the same time of the apparent abduction of the girls. Now, another witness, whose name was also redacted, was interviewed by officers and said that she had met Logan, Ron Logan, about seven or eight years ago, and that she was in a personal relationship with him for a couple of months. She would stay in his home on the weekends. Uh, She left after Ron became physically abusive. She further said that Ron continued to stalk and harass her after their breakup. During their relationship, Ron had dragged her out of her car by her hair, and she is still in fear of him. She has not had contact with him for about two years at the time of this interview, but she did tell officers that Ron did tell her in the past that he could kill her and no one would ever find her body. She further said that she knew that Ron carried a gun in a fanny pack everywhere he went. She also stated that when she she first saw the image of the man on the bridge, she too thought that it was Ron. Now, Ron's cell phone data revealed a text message that he sent from his phone at 7.56 p.m. on the evening of the 13th. The location of the phone indicates that he was likely outside his residence and in the proximity of where the girls' bodies were located. At around 10.16 p.m. that same night of the 13th, Ron received a text message and he again appeared to be located outside his property and near where the girls were located. A former roommate of Ron's who lived at his house in 2016 and who was an on and off again girlfriend with Ron for about three years uh, said that when she first learned of the girls missing, she immediately thought that Ron was involved. She further said in the interview that she was scared of him as well and even told someone she knew that if she ever ended up dead, it would have been Ron who did it. Now, during this relationship, Ron had punched her in the face, knocking her down. Based on what the officers and the FBI had accumulated so far about Ron, they believed that there was probably cause that Ron had committed the crime of murder and evidence of that could be found on his property, which is why the search warrant was issued and why they were there for six hours. This at least gives us some kind of explanation. Now, after the image of the man on the bridge was released to the press, over 15 people called the tip line to specifically say it was Ron Logan. Now, Ron Logan was never formally named as a suspect. And on January 24th of 2022, he ended up dying of COVID. Now, the search of Ron's home and his property occurred shortly after the girls had gone missing. Now, there weren't a lot of updates or movements, much less an arrest on the case until two years later in February of 2019, when the police held a press conference, just letting people know that the case had not gone cold. Two months after this, in April of, in April of 2019, the police provide what they call a, quote, significant update in the case. And this is when the new sketch of, a, of the suspect 
along with more video and audio of the subject speaking was released. Now, the man that was walking across the bridge, uh, the picture that had been circulated since the start of the case, they now show him on video and they he walks with a slight limp and they also released new audio with one additional word, which now has the entire phrase of guys down the hill. And I'll play that for you so that you can you can hear this. Years go by and still nothing. No arrests in the case and barely any updates at all. The police, they are being incredibly tight-lipped about the whole entire thing. But we now know that on October 28th of 2022, of course, this is well over five years later, Richard Matthew Allen, 50, of Delphi, Indiana, who worked at a local Delphi CVS store, was arrested and charged with two counts of murder in the case of Libby German and Abby Williams. Now, he has lived in Delphi for 16 years and has no criminal record. Now, after Richard Allen had his initial hearing, the documents related to the case were sealed under court order. The Carroll County prosecutor, Nicholas McClelland, uh, said that the documents are sealed due to the case still being an open case. Now, of course, people then questioned if they were still looking for someone else who was involved in the murders, but this was completely unclear. His choice to leave these documents sealed only fueled more speculation. You know, did they have the right guy? What evidence do they have? Did they use DNA? Did he confess? No one knows the answers to these. And because of the sealed documents, no one has any answers. But on November 29th of 2022, Allen County Judge Fran Gull released a redacted document. Now, this document had some information in it, but not everything that I'm sure that many people, including myself, were hoping for. The judge wrote that, quote, The public interest is not served by prohibiting access to these documents so long as witnesses and Allen's personal information were redacted. So what this document did reveal was that investigators went to the home of Richard Allen and they found several knives and guns, one of these guns being a Sig Sauer P226 40 caliber pistol, which he had purchased in 2001. And upon testing this gun, they found that the rounds matched an unspent bullet that was found within two feet of one of the girls that had gone through the same gun that Alan owned. Now, one of the ways that this could happen is that either Alan tried to fire the gun and it didn't fire because the bullet may have been faulty or more likely the gun jammed. Now, Allen was interviewed by investigators on October 13th, prior to his arrest of 2022, and said that he had seen three juvenile girls. He then said that he walked across the Monon High Bridge platform and then walked back and, quote, sat on a bench on the trail and then left. When he was interviewed on October 26th, and this is two days before he was arrested, He said he never allowed anyone to borrow his gun. What's disturbing, though, is that according to the unsealed affidavit, 
is that investigators were, quote, reviewing prior tips, and they had found that Allen had in fact been interviewed by someone in 2017. He even stated at that time that he was there. He was walking on the trail when he saw three females at Freedom Bridge, but he didn't speak with them. He then walked from Freedom Bridge to Monin High Bridge, but didn't see anyone, and that he was busy, quote, watching a stock ticker on his phone as he walked. He also told them that on that day, he had been wearing blue jeans and a blue or black Carhartt jacket. When the police interviewed Alan's wife, she confirmed that he does own a blue Carhartt jacket. So where is the jacket? Do the police have it? Did he get rid of it? Did his wife help him get rid of it? Again, nothing about the whereabouts of this jacket is mentioned in the affidavit. Now, Alan further said that he had never been to the spot where the bullet was found and that he didn't know who owned the property, uh, where the girls were, and that he had no explanation as to why a round cycled through his firearm would be at that location. In the affidavit, witness names are redacted, but three young people said they saw a male walking on the bridge who was, quote, kind of creepy. One of the groups said hi to the man, but he just glared at them. Another witness said that she was traveling. Now, we don't know if this means driving, running, biking, or walking along a Carroll County road that day uh, when she saw a man walking away from the Monin High Bridge wearing clothes that, quote, looked muddy and bloody. The witness thought that he looked as if he may have been in a fight. Interestingly, earlier in the month of November of 2022, prosecutors said that they have, quote, good reason to believe more than one person is connected to the killings, but they didn't offer any further information. In the affidavit, it is said that, quote, as the male subject approaches victim one and victim two, one of the victims mentions gun. Remember, Ron Logan was known to carry a gun with him at all times in a fanny pack. Now, near the end of the video, a male is heard telling the girls, again, guys, down the hill. The girls then proceed to go down the hill and the video ends. No one really knows why it took so long to arrest Alan. Um, They had a bullet that they could match to a gun that Alan owned. But if they had this evidence in 2017, why did it take so long for an arrest to be made? You know, while we do have the mention of the gun and we do know that the clothing of the girls were located away from where their bodies were found, the affidavit did not release the cause of death details. Now, this further leads you to wonder what happened. You know, did he or they make the girls undress and then move to a different spot? Did he do all this using the gun? How was he able to subdue two individuals? He may have threatened that if one tried to run away, the other one would be harmed or even shot. But honestly, this is just all speculation. Were there two perpetrators? Did Ron Logan and Richard Allen know one another? Plus, we know that someone saw, quote, a man, unquote. Some believe it was Richard Allen. 
the one who had mentioned that his clothes were muddy and bloody, you know, if he had simply shot them, it's unlikely that blood would be on his clothes unless he had shot them at very close range, which would cause spatter, or he moved them after they were shot, in which case that would have smeared blood on his clothing. But we now know that the crime scene itself was incredibly bloody. Um, But again, we don't know if this was due to a gunshot or some other means. There is an unspent bullet on the ground. If his gun had jammed, then he may have resorted to using another weapon, such as a knife. You know, inside his home, there were knives found. Uh, Did he bring a knife with him that day as well? The affidavit doesn't mention anything about the police seizing knives, although in all likelihood they probably did. The thing is, we don't know what the witness meant when they said that this man's clothes were bloody. And I keep referring to him as the man because we're, we all want to assume that, hey, she's talking about Richard Allen. But what if she's talking about Ron Logan? Were these clothes smeared with blood? Was it concentrated in one area? What exactly did they see? Again, the affidavit doesn't mention any of this. After the affidavit was released, the Indiana State Police, in an ABC News interview, said, out of respect for the process, which is being led by the Carroll County Prosecutor, we are refraining from making any public statements and are going to allow the probable cause affidavit to stand on its own. As this continues to be an active and ongoing investigation, the Indiana State Police will continue to provide any and all resources available to assist in the prosecution of this case. On December 2nd of 2022, and this was literally as I'm recording this just a few days ago, the judge appointed in the Delphi case issued a gag order. Now, this gag order bars attorneys, law enforcement, court personnel, the coroner, and the family members of the girls from commenting on the case to the public and to the media directly or indirectly by themselves or through any intermediary in any form, including any social media platforms. And anyone found violating this order could be charged with contempt of court and face a fine or incarceration. The judge is also considering a change of venue request. So the defense wants to hold the trial at least 150 miles away from Delphi. Now on December 1st, prior to this gag order, the attorneys for Richard Allen released a statement. And part of the statement reads, quote, he is innocent and completely confused as to why he has been charged with these crimes. They later went on to say that Alan tried to help in the investigation on more than one occasion. But we all know, don't we? At least those of us who read, listen to, or watch true crime, that oftentimes perpetrators will try to insert themselves into an investigation so that they can keep tabs as to what's going on, right? As far as the clothing and his vehicle go, the attorneys said that he didn't dispose of his guns, his car, or his clothing in all the years since the girls were murdered. He didn't even alter his appearance or even relocate. So at least this answers the question as to what happened to his clothing, sort of. They didn't specifically mention the jacket, but simply just the word, quote, clothing. So we don't know if this included 
the jacket uh, or the pants or any other article of clothing that he happened to be wearing that day. But they do make a good point, though, that he didn't relocate. But again, he was, we assume, keeping a close eye on the investigation, even, quote, helping, as as his attorneys say. So when nothing really pointed his direction, one could say that he didn't feel the need to up and move or the need to change his appearance. His attorneys further say that the ballistics used to connect the unspent bullet and the gun mentioned in the affidavit is, quote, unreliable and lacking any scientific validity. Uh, Furthermore, they state that their client has never been arrested nor accused of any crime in his entire life. Quote, the police did not contact Allen. He contacted the police and voluntarily discussed being on the trail the day that Williams and German went missing. Like many people in Delphi, he wanted to help in any way that he could. He contacted the police to let them know that he had walked on the trail that day, as he often did. They further say that the probable cause affidavit seems to suggest that a single magic bullet is proof of his guilt. The defense team's news release states, quote, It is a bit premature to engage in any detailed discussions regarding the veracity of this evidence until more discovery is received. But it is safe to say that the discipline of tool mark identification, ballistics, is anything but a science. So, as far as we know, at least according to the affidavit, the main link uh, to Richard Allen is an unspent bullet at the crime scene. You know, personally, I'm doubtful that there's all that, that there is, but it's all that's been released to the public. Now, his court date which was originally scheduled for March 20th of 2023, is now set for February 17th of 2023. He is asking the court to either reduce his bail to a, quote, reasonable amount or to release him on his own recognizance. Uh, He's currently being held on a $20 million bond. Now, due to the fact that he's in jail for murder, it's highly doubtful that any of this will happen, but you never know. Now, keep in mind that this is still an active investigation and information will likely be released uh, sporadically, if at all. Um, As we all know now, there's a gag order. If anything does come out, it's going to be relatively minor, Um, but we'll just have to wait and see until February and, and find out what happens then, at least regarding bail. As usual, I'll keep updating as more in-depth information becomes available. Thank you all for listening. You are appreciated so, so much. I look forward to bringing you so much more content and more forms and um, all over the next year. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you again. I will speak with you soon.